You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. All right, take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew in chapter 22. And let's talk about who this Jesus is that my girls just sang about. I'm entitled the message this morning, Who is Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Can you explain who he is to others in a very clear and understandable way? In Matthew chapter 22, I want to begin with verse 15. The Lord Jesus had a lot of enemies in his ministry. Mainly the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then another smaller group called the Herodians. Now we're not as familiar with the Herodians as we are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees were the conservatives of their day. The the Sadducees were the liberals of their day. And the Herodians were Jews who supported Herod's dynasty. They were in support of Rome. These three groups of men had nothing in common. Matter of fact, they really despised each other. But they came together for one purpose, and that was to attack Christ and his ministry. So it says here in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 15... Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him, the Lord Jesus, in his talk. And they sent unto him their disciples with who? The Herodians. And then later on, we're going to catch up with the Sadducees who join in with them. Now, to trap or to catch the Lord Jesus somehow misspeaking himself or putting forth some false doctrine that they could accuse him of, they ask him questions concerning, you see there in verse 23, concerning the resurrection. If you go to verse 34, they ask him questions concerning what was the greatest commandment that had been given And now if you come to chapter uh, 22 and verse 41, I want to read through verse 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ? The Sadducees had left, the Herodians had left, the Sadducees were still present. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to ask him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd bless the preaching of your word today as we look at who Jesus is. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Now, if I had the opportunity, listen, listen here, if I had the opportunity to come and talk to each one of you individually and ask you the question, who is Jesus, what would you say? What kind of answer would you give me? It was the Apostle Peter says that we need to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that lieth within us. You know what the hope is that lies within the believer? It's Christ. And we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone that would question us concerning our faith in Christ. If someone came up to you today and said, would you tell me about Christ? Would you tell me who he is and why he means so much to you? Could you do that in a very clear way? Who is Jesus? I believe this is a question that every single Christian ought to be able to answer. Give me an amen. amen. And yet I also believe this that many of us feel totally inadequate to answer that question if someone were to ask it of us. Yes, you may be saved and maybe have been baptized and maybe you attend church regularly and maybe you're even involved in the ministry and you give faithfully through your tithes and through your offerings. But can you tell people who Jesus is? Can you do that? If someone were to question you, would you be at a loss of words? The world is filled with all kinds of opinions concerning who Jesus is. Their misconceptions are many. So we need to be prepared and we need to be accurate when it comes to proclaiming who our Lord and Savior really is. How many of you have ever seen a picture of the Lord Jesus on Newsweek magazine? Really? I have. Newsweek magazine on several issues going all the way back to the early 80s have, has had Jesus on their front cover. How many have ever seen Jesus' picture on Time magazine? Don't you look at the magazines when you go out of the stores? Oh, I told you not to do that, didn't I? <laughs> Time magazine has had several issues. Going back into the 70s with the Lord Jesus, a picture of the Lord Jesus on the front cover of Time magazine. TV guide. How many have ever had a TV guide? Two people. You don't need a man. Do they even publish TV Guide anymore? But TV Guide has had several issues where the Lord Jesus has been on the front cover of TV Guide. And I'm sure there's many other magazines. These were just three that I investigated. And with each one, the question was asked... Who is this man? Isn't that interesting? The world has no idea who Jesus is. And if you're trying to figure out who Jesus is by reading Newsweek or Time magazine, you're never going to figure out who he is. I'm telling you, there's only one source of truth as to who Jesus is, and it's this precious book that each one of us hold in our hand right now. 
Do you know that Jesus asked that same question? In this passage, he says, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Who is he? Let me take you to another passage. Let's go back to chapter 16 of the book of Matthew. As I am asking you to answer that question this morning, who is Jesus? Jesus asked his disciples to answer that same question. Let's find out what they said. Matthew chapter 16, I'll begin with verse 13. I'll read down through verse 17. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So there was real confusion in the world as to who Jesus was. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye? Not just the world. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I'm going to keep on reading here. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Peter is Petras, which means a small stone. The, the rock there is Petra, which means a massive foundational stone. Thou art Peter, Petras. You're just a little pebble. You're just a little stone. But upon this rock, what rock? The rock is the statement that Peter had just made concerning who Christ is. Upon this rock, the church was not built upon Peter. The Catholics will tell you that the church is built upon Peter, and he was the first pope. The church is not built upon Peter. He's just a little pebble. The church was built upon the statement that Peter made concerning Christ, this massive foundational stone. And upon this rock, Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I want you to stay with me here this morning. I want to set before you the setting of this question that was asked by the Lord Jesus because I think it's absolutely important to see it in its context. Jesus had been ministering in the north of Israel. He was going from town to town, from town to town. He was working his way south to Jerusalem where he would give his life on Calvary's cross for our redemption. So as he goes from town to town, from town to town, he is preaching the gospel on his way to the cross. When he gets to uh, Bersaida, which is located there on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, he stops his progression southward, says to his disciples, we're going to go back north to Caesarea Philippi. Now, this isn't just jump in the car and let's go back to Caesarea Philippi. This is a 30 to 35 mile, depending upon which route that they took, this was a 30 to 35 mile hike. 
And this makes absolutely no sense in the mind of the disciples. They are working from the north to the south, evangelizing every town they come to. And now Jesus said, we're stopping the ministry. We're going back north, 30, 35 miles to Caesarea Philippi. It's when they got to the coast. And when you read that, you think, first of all, in your mind, that they must be by the sea. But the coast simply means the outskirts. When they got to the outskirts of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus pauses, and this is where he asks them the question, who do men say that I am? Why did he go to this place to ask this question? Well, you need to know a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, at one time, was the center of Baal worship, and it had a deep, rich, historical, religious significance. At this time, when Jesus takes his disciples back, listen to me, church, there were 14 pagan temples located in and around this town of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus is on the coast. And if you get a map and you look at a map and you study this all out, and you can check this out, Caesarea Philippi set in the valley. So I'm assuming that Jesus being on the coast was up on the mountainside somewhere where they could overlook this valley. It's to the backdrop of Caesarea Philippi that he asked his disciples the question, who do men say that I am? Because there at Caesarea Philippi, all the world religions were represented. There was a temple, a white marble gleaming temple, right in the center of Caesarea Philippi that was made by Herod to the worship of Caesar himself. When Herod passed away and his son Philip took the throne, Philip had that temple totally remodeled. And it became one of the seven wonders of the world. Are are you all picturing this with me? So here's Jesus on the coast. I guess it would be like this, like you're in the valley. You're the inhabitants of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus is on the coast. His disciples are there. Behind him are all the religions of the world represented. Matter of fact, Caesarea Philippi was called the little Athens of Palestine. Remember Athens? It was wholly given unto idolatry. So it's called the little Athens. So he says, who do men say that I am? When Philip had the temple that Herod, his father, had built to the worship of Caesar, when he had it remodeled, he also renamed the town from from just Caesarea, which means Caesar's town, to Caesarea Philippi. He added his name to it. He was a real humble guy. To me, this is very, very significant. So it was against this backdrop of all these religions that Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Let me ask you a question. Was there confusion as to who he was? Did anybody answer it correctly? Just Peter. If you were to 
go downtown Jackson and just stop people along the street and just ask them, could you tell me who Jesus is? Do you think there'd be a lot of confusion just like there was in this day? Many people view Jesus as a prophet. You may hear that answer. Well, I've heard that he was some old prophet. Some would say, well, he's the founder of Christianity. Others would say he's a good moral example. Others would say, well, he was a good teacher. Some would say he was a philosopher. Maybe some would say, well, we've heard that he was some miracle worker. Others may say something to you like, he was a mentally impaired and deranged individual who claimed to be the Son of God. Claimed that he could do miracles and that he even, he even staged a false resurrection in his deception. But then there's others who believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. The Son of God the Savior of the world, my Lord. <laughs> Who do men say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the promised one. You are the Son of the living God. Now, where did Peter come up with that from? Where did he come up with it from? The Father which is in heaven. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this unto you. Some would say, well, what difference does it make what you believe about Jesus? What difference does it make? I want to tell you it makes all the difference in all the world. So I want to talk about that now as we progress along here in this message. To become a Christian, to become a Christian, you have to have a basic, at least a basic understanding of who Jesus is. In John 8, verse 24, Jesus said these words, And I said, Therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sin, unless you believe that I am he. Ye shall die in your sin. So our eternal destiny is determined by what we believe about Jesus. Who is he? If you have the wrong answer to that question, it will determine where you spend eternity. It's a very important. Once you have received Christ, once you have believed in him and accepted him as your Lord and as your personal Savior, it should have a profound effect upon your life. How many believe that? Say amen. Should have a profound effect. There's three things I want to talk about here. It should mold your character. It should impact your beliefs. And it should influence your lifestyle. It should mold your character, impact your beliefs, and it should influence your lifestyle. Let's talk about how, what we believe about Christ and who he is and how it should mold our character. Do you know that once you accept Christ, you believe in him, accept him for who he is, 
that the Holy Spirit of God comes in and indwells you. How many of you have received the Spirit of God? When did you receive the Spirit of God? The very moment you confessed the Lord Jesus as Lord. The Holy Spirit came in to indwell you. How long will he indwell you? Jesus said he will abide with you, what? Forever. Now, that Holy Spirit that indwelt you at the time of salvation, who will abide with you forever, is up to something in your life. You say, what is he up to? He's up to progressively changing you into the image and likeness of Christ. Some of us are a big project. Would you agree with that? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Listen to this verse. But we all, with open faces, beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of our Lord. What does that say? It's saying this. If you are born again, every time you look into the mirror... Every time you look at your face in the mirror, you are literally seeing the glory of God. God's amazing work in saving you and redeeming you and making you a child of God and in filling you with the Spirit of God. And as you look at your face there, you won't be so discouraged next time you look into the mirror, by the way. When you look at your face in the mirror, you see the work of of God in progression. God is working in your life. He's working to change. As you see that glory, he's working to change you into something more glorious. Let me ask you a question. Are you cooperating with him? How many of you this morning, when you looked in the mirror, you saw some things that were a little bit out of place? How many of you... Um, Got the comb out and started combing and took care of some things up on top. Okay. Well, some of you didn't have to. Okay, I got, I, I got you there. I remember when I was a teenager. I look into that mirror and I try to fix up what the Lord had given me. And there's one thing I couldn't stand when I was a teenager. I couldn't stand, we used to call them zits. What do you call them now? So, you still call them zits. Oh, I'm still there. And I remember looking at those things, putting a hot rag on my face, and, you know, get that thing, you know. You teenagers know what I'm talking about. Why? Because I wanted to have a better appearance. I didn't want to have some pussy old zit on my face. When you look into that, when you look into the Word of God and you see yourself for who you are, you see that work of progression that's going on in your life. Listen, we ought to be becoming more beautiful all the time, bringing forth more glory to God all the time, that we look in the mirror and we see, God, you're changing me from glory to glory. There's a work that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life cooperate with him when you look in that mirror and you see that there's some things that just are not right in your relationship with God pop the zit 
comb the hair, brush the teeth. Are you getting what I'm saying? Cooperate with God in his work of changing you into his image. So what you believe about Christ is should impact your character. It should also impact your beliefs. The indwelling spirit of God, he gives us the assurances of our salvation. Romans chapter 8 talks all about that. But he is also altering our perspective. He's also changing our convictions. He's also giving us better judgment. Are you following me? I hope that, how many of you were with me when I was 21 years old in the past? I, I pastored, I started pastoring at 21 years old. How many were there? Duncans were there? Courses came in right about that time. I may have been 22 when you came. See, everyone else left. All right. <laughs> but I know those two. Well, we have some memories, don't we? Going back all those years. Could you, could you imagine sitting under my ministry? I'm 56 now from the, when I was 21 years old. Why don't you understand something here, church? God has changed my beliefs. God has molded my character. He has changed. He's impacted my beliefs. My convictions are different. My perspective of life is different. My judgments are different. Why? Because I've grown in grace. And I've grown in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, I've heard people say, I have never changed. Well, if you've never changed, there's something wrong with you. Something wrong about your belief system. Because God is a God of change. How many of you here don't like change? I'm one. I don't like change. I mean, leave the living room furniture the way it is for a hundred years. I don't care. You move it, you got to sweep underneath the thing. That's where I sweep everything under. I don't know about you, man. Maybe you're married to one of those women that every six months she has to... She has to change the bedroom around. Why change the bedroom around? You don't know what side of the bed you're getting off. I want to know I'm getting off the same side of the bed every single day of my life. I don't like change. I don't like when people leave. and I do like it when they come in. But I don't like it when people leave. I don't like change. I don't like it when my girls get married. I love it when my boys get married. And I got one more left. Anyone want to take them off my hands for me, please? But I'm not, I'm not one that, that likes change. And I have to believe that many of us are that way. But God is up to changing you. Changing your character. Have you ever heard someone say, well, that's just who I am. Well, who you am needs to be changed. <laughs> Start cooperating with God in this great work of God molding your character and impacting your beliefs. 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, go after the Spirit. Remember when you once just were going after the flesh? My wife and I were talking just yesterday and talking about an individual that we just love so dearly that is just making some huge mistakes in their life. And I looked at my wife and I said, Honey, that is so sad. And then she looked at me and she said, Dan, remember when we were there? Aren't you thankful God doesn't give up on us? He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is up to something. He's up to changing you. You may give up on him, but he is not going to give up on you. He's molding your character. He's impacting your beliefs. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. What we believe about Christ should impact our beliefs. We should be getting rid of that carnal thinking and start embracing the mind of Christ. Molding your character, impacting your beliefs, influencing your lifestyle. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? Old things are... All things have become... Our former lifestyle. I look at some of you, you, there's some of you here that are absolutely a trophy of God's grace. You were so carnal, so into this world, so into yourself. Your life was all about me, 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 and God got a hold of you. And you believed in him. And something that only God could do happened. You got transformed by the power of Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Our former lifestyle, the way that we once used to live, that doesn't fit our identity anymore. You know what my identity is now? I am in Christ. I'm not into this flesh. I'm not into this world. I am now in Christ. Sometime I'm going to go back and really get into this, I think, on a Sunday morning. But in Romans chapter, there's so much misunderstanding about Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and I don't have time this morning, talks about how the old, when we accepted Christ as our Savior, we were crucified with Christ, that old man, that old person that we used to be. Remember? He died. He died not to be resurrected again, but he died once and for all in Christ. And when that old man died, the miracle of God's redemption reached down and resurrected that old man into a new creature in Christ. That old man is dead. I am now alive in Christ. I am a new man. I'm a new woman now in Christ. Many of you here, how many here have I baptized? Raise your hand if I baptized you. Okay. 
Remember when I baptized you? Some of you, I forgot I baptized you. <laughs> Getting too many to remember now. It should be that way after 36 years of Duncan folks. I know, I remember baptizing you. You're a hard one to get back up. You know that? Uh, Doug Raby, he was the hardest one to get back up. I almost just left him down there, to tell you the truth. Some of you don't know, but I did hit his head on the steps on the way down. Boom, boom, boom. I got him under. Do you remember when I baptized you? Romans chapter 6. Buried together in the likeness of his death. What? Raised also in the likeness of his resurrection. I died to who I once was and I have now been raised a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is molding my character. He is impacting my beliefs and he's influencing my lifestyle. Are you cooperating with him? Are you? One thing I do want to tell you today, this is good news here. What you believe about Jesus will determine your eternal destiny. This is the ultimate reason why it's important to know Jesus. If you want to go to, how many want to go to heaven someday? You better know who Jesus is. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, you're not going to heaven. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I am. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. When Moses took his shoes off before the burning fiery bush, I am that I am. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. Many will say, these are the words of Jesus. Many. Now, when Jesus says many, I, I take him at his word, right? He didn't say few. He said many, so to me, many means most. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in thy name? Weren't we preachers? Now, you would think that all preachers are going to heaven, right? Have not we prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? Can you be an unsaved person and still cast a devil out of someone? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have not we prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Look at all the charitable works that we've done. We were a part of Samaritan's Purse. And by the way, I love that organization and what they're doing. But I want you to understand something. You can be a preacher. You maybe have been used to cast a demon out of someone. Maybe you've done a tremendous amount of charitable works. And Jesus said, I will profess unto them 
I never, I never knew you. Now don't tell me you can lose your salvation. He said, I never knew you. He didn't say, well, I once used to know you as one of my children, but I no longer do. No. He said, I never knew you. And then he says an amazing thing. Depart from me, ye that do iniquity. Since when has preaching become iniquitous? Since when has casting demons out become iniquitous? When has doing all these good charitable works, helping all these people who are suffering right now because of these hurricanes, when has that become an iniquitous work? For all of us, we see it as a good thing, don't we? Say amen. We say, that's a good thing. That's something I need to throw my efforts behind. But when does it become iniquitous? It becomes iniquitous when we're not doing it in Jesus' name. I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Remember who that rock is. And the rains ascended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, they make a profession, but it's not carried through, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains ascended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I'm here to tell you what you believe about Jesus determines where you will spend eternity. Mm. How would you describe Jesus? Boy, that's a loaded question, isn't it? How would you describe Jesus? Well, let's go back. When did he begin? When did he begin? When was Jesus beginning? He never had one. You say, oh no, he was, he was born of the Virgin Mary in a manger in Bethlehem. Well, I tell you, Jesus existed a long time before then. In the beginning was the Word, referring to the Logos of God, the Lord Jesus himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Listen, Jesus Christ existed in creation itself. He was the Creator God. He said this, I am, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning of all things. I'm the one that will end all things. I am the Alpha and Omega. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Jesus didn't come into existence there in Bethlehem. He said, before Abraham was. I am. I and my Father are one. 
And the Jews picked up stones to kill him because he is blaspheming, because he made himself out to be the eternal God. For a good work we stone thee not, but thou, being a man, hast made thyself out to be God. Thou hast blasphemed. And they picked up stones to kill him. Oh, Jesus never had a beginning. I want you to understand something. My girl's saying his name is what? His name is wonderful. The Bible said he has a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, you see, names tell us who we are. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other. What? Name. Under heaven. Given among men. Whereby we must be saved. Earlier this week, I did a little project. And I'm going to wind this up again. I'm like halfway through my message. Has that ever happened before? But I was thinking about this. He has a name which is above every name. So I just began to look up the names of Jesus. Would it be okay if I just read his names? I'm telling you, this this just does something to me. The Bible says he is our advocate. He is the author of our salvation. He is the bishop of our souls. He's our bridegroom, our captain, our cornerstone, our deliverer. He is our foundation, our guide, our head, our high priest. He is our king. He's our lawgiver. He's our master, our mediator, our Passover. He's our propitiation, our ransom, our redeemer, our refuge, our righteousness. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the rock and fortress of God. He is our sacrifice, our savior, our shepherd. He's the good shepherd the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. He's our Lord. He's the almighty God, the angel of the Lord, the apostle of God, the beginning of the creation. He is the beloved one, the bright and morning star. He is Christ. He's Emmanuel, the gift of God, the glory of God, the head of the church. He's heir of all things. He's the holy one of God. He is the horn of our salvation. He is our strong rock. He's the rock of ages, the rock of our salvation. He's the rock of offense. He's a stone of stumbling. He's the living stone, the tried stone, the cornerstone, the precious stone. He's the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the resurrection and the life. He's the true vine. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is Jehovah. He is Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb without blemish and without spot. He's the Lamb that was slain. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's Messiah. He's a mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the good, He is the great physician. He's the priest. He's the high priest. He's the great high priest. He is the just one, the holy one, the holy one of God. He is a faithful witness, the mediator of a new covenant. He is the salvation of God, the, sal- the savior of the world, the captain of our salvation. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the power of God, the image of God, the righteousness of God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of all. He's the righteous judge, a friend to stick closer than a brother. He alone can forgive sins. He is a miracle worker. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He made the blind to see and lame to walk. 
He fed 5,000, delivered the demon-possessed, calmed the stormy sea, and raised the dead. He's the greatest teacher the world has ever known. He's the greatest example that man could ever have. He is the light of the world. He is wonderful. He is precious. He is the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Word of God. And that's just a few of the names given to him in Scripture. The author of the book of Hebrews says this. Consider this man. We would do well to consider this man. He was meek and he was lonely. He was tempted yet without sin. He was oppressed and despised, rejected and betrayed, condemned and reviled, scourged and mocked. He was wounded and bruised and stricken and smitten and afflicted and forsaken. He was crucified, but he is risen and he's coming again. We would do well to consider him. Do you know that every single attribute that is given to God, and I have a whole list of them here with the scriptures, every single attribute that is given to God is also given to Jesus. He is God. Yes, he did limit the exercise and the use of his divine attributes while he was here on the earth, but he never ceased to be God. I'll end with this. What amazing life this man lived. Jesus never wrote a book. But the Bible is all about him. And more books have been written about Jesus Christ than any other person in history. But he never himself wrote a book. He never composed a single song, but more songs have been written about Jesus than anybody else. He never built a house, but he promised that he would go and prepare a place for us. He healed multitudes, and he didn't even have a doctor's degree. He traveled less than 100 miles from the place that he was birthed. And yet, his life has impacted our entire world. Consider this man. He wasn't a soldier. But his truth has brought down empires and has built others. Christ Life was a life that displayed love, mercy, and compassion. And yet he cleansed the temple with a whip. He never was too busy to help people in need. He welcomed and loved children when his disciples rebuked him and considered them unimportant and tried to send them away. I think of when he was on his way to the cross and the crowds were around him and there was a blind man that heard Jesus was passing by. His name was Old Blind Bartimaeus. And he cried out, Lord, have mercy upon me. And the crowds were saying, shut up. Be quiet. I can just see men trying to put their hand over his mouth. And, Lord, have mercy upon me. 
what did the Lord Jesus do? He stopped and went over there, old blind Bartimaeus. He said, thy faith has made thee whole. That moment he received his sight. And the Bible said he followed Jesus. Would you consider this man? He truly was like no other. Herod couldn't kill him. Satan couldn't trap him. Death couldn't destroy him and the grave couldn't hold him. Have you considered this man? Why are we so ashamed of this man when this man has done everything for us? Do you know who he is? Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.